good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strachey Cafe. Uh, I'm Matt, one of the Strachey facilitators at Alembic, and I'll be your host for today's session on um, culture, communication, and place. I'm just going to take a moment and wait for everybody to get logged in. Um, I hope everyone has their coffees to hand and is feeling good about the day ahead. And let me kick off with a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Um, so in just a second, I'll give everybody an introduction to the other members of the team with us today and tell you a little bit about Alembic. Uh, this is the second session in a series of webinars talking about the post-pandemic landscape. Uh, last month's was on adaptations and leadership style for the new environment, and you can still have a listen on YouTube channel if you're interested. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about culture, communication and place. So uh, what has the pandemic meant for culture? Um, why has the change in routine been so disruptive for many people? Uh, think about how important place is for businesses. Uh, look at communication techniques for online and how this links to culture. And then some strategic options and a quick summary of our main points and next steps at the end. Uh, we'll also leave a little time at the end as usual for some questions. So please do type any questions you have into the chat area and we'll get to those. Uh, we'll try and finish up at nine o'clock for anyone who has to go. Uh, but we'll also be on for a few minutes after nine uh, to answer any questions for anybody who wants to stay online. Uh, slide, Nick. For anybody who hasn't tuned in before, um, Alembic provide expert facilitation to help leaders as they work through change and to transform and grow their organizations. I'm one of the strategy facilitators at Alembic and my background's in the healthcare sector. So working for large private hospitals and new market entrants. Um, I'm one of the two senior strategy facilitators and client managers, um, and I work on all kinds of complex problems with business leaders and their teams, uh, delivered predominantly through coaching, uh, large group or small team facilitation, or implementation through project management. I'm fortunate today to be joined by my colleagues, Nick Mayhew, IMD and founder, and a fellow strategy facilitator, uh, Rosanna Farish, good morning to you both. Perhaps you could give a quick introduction. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Um, and well, a bit about me. So um, I really work with leadership teams through significant points of change. So at the moment, uh, working on a family business succession um, and also um, an M&A leadership and strategy integration. So really about the structural change that's happening, but also the emotional transition that leadership teams are going through. So, and just facilitating the conversation around the change that's required on those things. Hi, I'm Nick. Um, hopefully you all know me. Um, and my um, uh, oft-repeated claim to fame is to have been brought up through life by uh, a Buddhist psychotherapist, um, learned accountancy uh, early on in my adult life, and um, a senior leadership career in accountancy and then the opportunity to found Alembic in 2016 so just uh, a note that we're nearly five years old uh, which um, I'm very proud of and uh, very proud of this team here so good to see you both online. Thanks guys. Um, slide. So kicking us off today we've been talking about changes in routine recently and why these can be so disruptive to our everyday lives. This is something which I know has been a sentiment felt by many people during the pandemic, and it's hardly surprising, given it's probably one of the most fundamental changes to routine many people have ever experienced. Um, so why are routine changes so difficult for many people? 
Well, part of it is down to how the brain processes information. So in short, habits are, and routines are built mostly unconsciously, um, unlike goal-oriented thinking, which might be what's, what most people imagine when you imagine thinking processes. Uh, it's important because the unconscious way of thinking, as in routines, is very fast and efficient. Um, and it's a good way of processing information. So it saves us a lot of effort. So when you break these, you're forcing your brain to do a lot more active thinking to get through life, which can be quite tiring. So ultimately, a big part of the problem is in how we build our routines, which is partially down to the process of many unconscious signposts and triggers in our environment. Um, so these signposts add up to make you think, feel and act in a certain way and contribute contributes to your behavior every day. Um, now consider that during the pandemic, not only were our existing routines broken, but the vast majority of our unconscious signposts were also stripped out of our lives. So it's really no wonder that people are struggling a bit. Um, I know for me personally on reflection, um, I struggled in April 2020 when we moved to working from home only. Um, in particular, I think I missed the signposts and structure of morning routine, getting a coffee, putting on my suit, uh, commuting with others that have a, sh a shared purpose, um, and just the general environment of working in an office. Um, it kind of gave you some separation between your work and your social life. And, and for me, it wasn't the end of the world, as um, I already had a decent precedent for remote working at Alembic. Um, but for many, the question of how to rebuild routines was really difficult um, and one which has become relevant again as we prepare to go back to the offices. If I could stress any point in this, I suppose it would be uh, new routines means new opportunities. So it's something we should be thinking about. So use the change to bin some of your bad habits and in their place, perhaps try and create ones which will serve you better. Um, and try to be conscious about your environmental triggers as they can make your, uh, your life a whole lot easier. Uh, slide, Nick. Uh, so on the brink of potentially going back to the office, besides routine, um, another conversation which has been really interesting is around place and togetherness. And it seems like something there's quite widely varying opinions on, uh, though most people do seem to agree that um, we'd like to be together a bit more than we're getting in our current environment. So a question to my colleagues is, how important is being together in the same physical place? Yeah, that... I think, yeah, I mean, it's um, a question on um, really about, you know, what's the future of work and how much time are we going to be spending together when we're allowed back to see each other? And I think um, you can take a motivational point of view on this. You know, for some, that sense of belonging and togetherness is a key motivator for why they work in the environment or the industry that they work in. And so when you strip that back, as you're saying, like, how do you plug that gap? You know, I think there are things that you can do. Um, and if you think about what it means to be together and the sense of belonging, I think that comes from a, a shared experience. So um, you might not actually be physically together, but having a shared experience gives you that sense of being together. Um, 
And just some things like um, as a team, we have gone on a walk together um, at the same time and we actually did like a little treasure hunt and it was um, um, actually really nice as a lunch break just to sort of have a shared experience together. But actually, um, we're not together. Um, but there's other things sort of working practices that we've also been doing, which I think have worked quite well. So how do you mimic the office where you can just, you know, pop to somebody's desk and, you know, start a conversation or ask questions and, you know, opening up a, we use Teams, so opening up a Teams channel where you turn your video off, you turn your uh, mic on mute, but actually, you know, you can just sort of reach out and, you know, sort of you're available to be you know, as if you're working at a desk, you can come up and you can see I'm not in a meeting um, and you can ask me questions. And I think that um, it's it's less intense, it's less formal as a Teams scheduled meeting, um, but it is a nice way of creating that more informal working office-like environment, um, which might speak to those people with a strong motivation around belonging and togetherness. So I think there's some ideas um, and things that we've been doing. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, and I completely agree. Belonging and togetherness is, is a really important element, which has become much more difficult over the past year. Um, and there are definitely things we should be trying to do to fill the gap. And there are definitely people who need it more than others. And it's really interesting to hear that all the different people we talk to seem to have slightly different approaches. Yeah, I think... I think my biggest point here is that it not to be forced and so you really have to as I was saying in the last webinar you know you have to tap into those motivators so for some people like that sense of being forced into um, something you know feels a bit um, disingenuous and not authentic so I think you have to you know read the room and go with what's going to work and tap into those motivations so it doesn't feel forced it's about it being authentic and organic but there are things that you can try um, which I think is important to note. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it also points to a wider question on um, how we're going to move away from a collective place um, and how it's going to affect culture and shared purpose. So culture tends to be something which comes by osmosis, is what I say. So you soak it up from your environment and the people that you converse with. Um, it also comes from observing, so particularly leadership figures. Um, and without a shared space, a lot of that interaction is lost. So I think organization-wise, um, I imagine it will be most felt in kind of mid-sized businesses. So businesses which are large enough for the culture to be more than just following what the founder or the MD does, but small enough not to have undertaken a big culture exercise. Uh, so defining your culture and writing it down for people to read. Um, I have to see particularly for new starters are going to find this really difficult because they're starting from scratch and they don't have uh, the lines to read between to glean what the company culture is going to be like. So those signposts. Um, so if there's no culture document for them to review. They're left with picking up the company culture in the virtual environment, which comes with big communication challenges, which we'll explore a little more in a minute. Um, again, a, a point to think about is uh, all the change is coming with opportunity. So think about those opportunities. Um, and I suppose a question uh, I'll pose to Nick, do you think the move from home working has only negatively impacted company culture? 
Uh, no, definitely not. I think the cultural impact is um, is is not uh, necessarily either positive or negative. That's a question for us as leaders to consider and change and get right. I think you made some incredible points about, I'm going to say the lockdown as opposed to flexible working, if we just differentiate those two ideas. You know, lockdown is one thing, um, but flexible working is a positive outcome from that that we can all benefit from. Um, and, you know, the shock lockdown was helpful in terms of transiting everyone instantly into the environment. Uh, the leadership challenge, I think, is to pick that up, pick up the pieces. I think, as you said, Matt, you know, it shattered the routines and um, everyone has kind of like organically or maybe more thoughtfully sort of worked their way back into some sort of new routine. Um, but um, I personally view the move to more flexible working as an opportunity that many will take up and therefore a really important competitive pressure for us in terms of how we serve customers and you know who we recruit. Um, it brings into the sphere of working, and I know this from my experience working in large professional services firms back in like 10 years ago, we used to have huge debates about whether we could um, dilute the working week to you know be attractive to you know highly capable workforce that you know, nine to five thirty just never, never, ever suited, but could work thirty hours if they were given flexibility and do an amazing thirty hours. I think a lot of people have taken that idea up in the last few years, and you know, flexible just really opens that um, that beautiful flexibility for the organisation and for people whom it serves up. Um, and then I think you know, as you've been saying, it just posts up a huge series of questions about how we create uh, a new set of routines and risks because you know for a lot of people the absence of that i don't know you know maybe don't self-regulate very well and so just need to just watch the people around them to get the cues they've lost that so how do you supervise people that just don't cope when they're flexible and can't work hard struggle with that but that's a really important leadership training point and then you know for for, for the rest of the organization i think there's a risk of you know, that shattering of the norms, somewhat diluting our experience of the company and the brand and our attachment to it. So it's really important to find the right ways to reattach emotionally to, to things, to routines. And I think, you know, we have to, you know, uh, actually find out what's going on in people's heads by talking to them about it rather than making assumptions here. That'd be my suggestion. I think then there's just lots and lots of problems, but they're all opportunities in disguise, if you like. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. Uh, I think there are there are generally plenty of positives. I suppose the thing we see most often is people saying that their their time has become more open. Um, but I think there are also loads of other things: financial benefits, closeness with family, lots of different people reporting lots of different benefits. Um, and in light of imminent back to office, I think the real question is. How do we take the best of both worlds when we're creating a new place? So I'd be interested actually to hear from the people listening on this one. Uh, so perhaps we can run through some of those ideas at the end. So please do put your insight into the chat. Um, Rosanna, I know a point we've touched on constantly through this discussion already is communication. Uh, perhaps you can pick up on that. Yeah. I mean, communication is like one of the most talked about things, you know, pre-lockdown, pre-pandemic was always something that we would cover as a fundamental part of what's going to make any uh, leadership change, strategic change, you know, be most effective. So communication um, has always been 
um, an issue um, and, and an area that leadership teams want to work on. I think it is heightened. Um, so this slide, um, what do you see here? So um, it's the sky and maybe you can see it on a, a computer monitor. Um, um, but what if I said there was more to this picture? So I've cropped out the picture. Um, so you might guess, oh, this is a nice little preview. <laughs> um, so you might think, oh, it's a beach, a meadow, but um, as Nick has already revealed, it's actually um, part of my holiday in Scotland last year, which is a beautiful loch, yeah, Loch Torridon. So you can see that there's a lot missing from the picture. Um, and so how do you then fill in the gaps? So a lot missing from the picture is um, a metaphor for the loss of um, body language and that sense of connection. Um, so the science behind communication is that 93% of our communication comes from body language. So when we're not physically together, like we're not now, um, you have to work harder at your communication to fill in that gap. Um, so all of that body language has been lost. Um, so listening, um, we can think about listening and active listening and being really present to what that other person is saying. And so when we talk about active listening, we're thinking about um, no judgment and just having the pure intention of hearing that other person without the immediate need to respond. And that's actually really hard because somebody says something, I'm saying things to you now, and you have that immediate uh, thought in your head to maybe challenge it. What do I think about that? But actually active listening on video calls is so important just to make that other person feel heard. Um, presence and attention. So um, how do we increase our presence and reduce the number of distractions that we're facing? I think one of the biggest um, differentials um, I see is about um, managing those. I think some people find it really, really difficult to pay attention online. Um, and there should be no judgment about that. But what are you doing um, with yourself and with your teams around practicing those focusing techniques? So uh, do you have your emails open? Do you have lots of windows open? Do you have your phone on your desk? Um, I think ultimately this comes back to, have you arrived with an intention? Um, so I'm not sure who said it, maybe Nick will, Nick will um, help me with the quote, but um, you know, communication is all about the reaction that you receive. So think about your intention and your purpose, the way that you're arriving at the meeting. Um, so the other point to note is around your vocabulary. And because of this lack of um, physical presence, and um, maybe you're on video, maybe you're not on video, um, you know, thinking about actually the articulation of the message and what you're trying to say, and it becomes a more of a weighting towards the words that you're going to say. So just thinking about the message, and I think all of these things take a little bit more time to prep for online meetings. Um, and then there's a point around pre and post meeting interactions. So uh, we don't have the opportunity today to offer you a coffee and a biscuit and welcome you in. Uh, we don't get to ask you how your commute was, what, what your commute was like. So we don't have that sort of general check-in with people, just to say, how are you arriving? 
or we've had a really difficult meeting today and as you leave sense check you know using your body language just check if that person's actually okay and was that a good meeting and so the general point here is to overemphasize your communication because a lot of the picture has been lost now there's a word on there which i haven't spoken to it's around emotion so emotions turn up in our meetings and it's very difficult to um, finish one meeting at 9.59 and then arrive in another meeting at 10. How do you set your intention? How do you arrive? And how do you change the dynamic? How do you arrive with a positive intention? You might have had a really um, tricky meeting and you know our emotions will turn up and the absence of being together your emotions may come across as heightened. So I think it's just worth that everybody has emotions, everybody will be feeling emotional to varying degrees, but actually just checking in on those is really helpful. So what are some of our best uh, practice tips then? I think for, for me, the, the point on the pre and post meeting interactions um, is one I'd just like to highlight. I think, so much of the um, your sort of casual relationship building and prepping mentally for the meeting is lost from the pre and post meeting interactions. If you think about turning up to a boardroom with 10 other people, um, all, all of that outside of work uh, chat, which builds the environment for the meeting um, is completely lost. And then all of your uh, debrief, you might choose to walk down to the train with somebody after the meeting um, all of that's lost. It's all of the normal interaction that we're, we're used to. Even traveling to the meeting with one of your colleagues, um, it creates this really abrupt, solid line between turning on your computer and just arriving at the meeting with everybody else at the same time. Um, I think I personally find it quite jarring. And I know at Alembic, we do a few exercises pre-meeting. We can do meditations or doin. Um, and it really helps to create a softer edge to turning up for the meeting. Yeah, I think so. Um, um, I think they're great points, Matt. Um, but, you know, we, because we, I mean, you know, I'm privileged to chair uh, a few companies and be on some boards and, and you, know, you know, all of us facilitate meetings with senior leaders all the time. So, you know, we've all seen horror shows this year um uh, where someone perhaps has just come from a really difficult meeting or you know a difficult conversation and then just bumps straight in crashes straight into the next meeting and brings that emotion with them and they're just totally distracted and you can kind of pick it up and that then is contagious which is you know mode de jour and uh you know affects a few people in the group and as a chair suddenly you find that the level of you know the heat in the meeting has just gone up and suddenly what's going to be a difficult meeting has become almost impossible to manage and I agree with all of that. I mean, and even for us, so we practice training our attention because you have to if you're going to facilitate, you know, high emotional issues around leadership teams. Uh, you have to practice your attention and manage your own sort of affect to the right level. But even us, you know, we're not perfect. I'm perfectly capable of crashing into a meeting or being distracted by something. Um, so it's really, really hard. And I think it just is an onus on the leader. So let's say in this case, the chair, everybody in that group has got an accountability, right? to manage themselves better so my view on this is we've just really got to up our communication skills a lot they've never been that great and they could be a lot better so 
Yeah, do you want to put on the next slide, Nick? Um, I completely agree um, with what, you what you're saying, Nick. Um, I think um, the point here is that whilst, whilst we meet face-to-face, -face, you would um, unconsciously allow people to arrive, take their coat off, um, you know, grab a cup of tea, um, the environment is that we have to sort of almost force that. So, um, you know, a few minutes on arrival, um, allow the organic chit chat. And I think this needs more time in this environment. Um, there's also your point, Nick, about just checking in as people arrive in the meeting. So asking, how are they? How are you arriving? Um, and allowing time for that direct question. Um, and then there's clearing the previous meeting. So what is your process for clearing the previous meeting? Do you have one? Do you go and make a cup of tea? Um, do you have some breathing techniques? Um, you know, a chance to clear that and arrive with your positive intention for the next meeting. Um, just on a practical point, one of our clients now does a meeting might start at 10.05 or it might finish at 4.55 because she is diarising that five minutes to allow her to change ends um, and you know she's you know building in that capacity for herself um, and then and um, to next point um, you know bring everybody in around the purpose and then notice when people are struggling, you know, use that active listening to notice because there's, you know, what are you noticing that for if you're not going to help that person? And so I think it's an opportunity just to help the person who is distracted or uh, maybe has turned up with in, in, in an unhelpful way. And then the final point here, which is around managing distractions and um, that might be notifications, but I think Ultimately, this is around developing concentration techniques and practicing that focus. This is something for me personally that I really try to intentionally work on because there are so many notifications. Everything is always on. Um, and whilst we only interact uh, with the computer screen, it's really difficult to manage um, your focus and attention. And so I think you can do things outside of work that really practice and develop your concentration techniques. And some people are more uh, or better at this than others, but I do believe it's something that you can practice. You know, so five minutes of, re of reading without looking at your phone, um, I've started sewing. That requires all my attention and all my focus, otherwise I get a needle in my finger. So practicing those concentration techniques to help you better be more present um, with your communication. So um, these are just some of the best, best practice tips that we've got. But um, again, just dive into the chat and you know, share what's working for you around hybrid and online meetings. We're going to pick up a few of the questions and comments. There's some comments come in already, but if you uh, want to join the conversation just at the top of the hour for 10 minutes with us and, and maybe uh, share some of your tips, um, uh, or ask us questions about other aspects of this, then just uh, find the questionnaire and post it up and we'll pick up all of them in a minute. Um, I just wanted to make a link here to culture. So I think Matt made a great point about the unconscious. Uh, so um, first thing to think about is, you know, what are the routines you're setting up that will become your new unconscious cues? 
So you need to consciously set those up uh, or at least consider what's happening organically, naturally, and what you want it to be. And is there, is there a gap there? Um, could you do better? I think it's worthwhile thinking about this from a sense of identity. So my identity, who I am, the company's identity, you know, what the company is, what its brand stands for, culture is part of that in the same way that like maybe values is part of me. Um, and I identify with the company. And so uh, the culture is something that is part of my story of who I'm going to be and what my life is going to be like. So question, you know, can you, can your senior leadership team, you know, can the team around you describe now what life is like at your organization in a consistent way? Do you know what they would say? Uh, does it make sense? Does it add up something consistent and coherent? You know, when you're recruiting or when you're talking to clients, that positive energy, whether you call it happiness, well-being, contentment, loving it, you know, enjoying my job, feeling it's great here, that's really important, as well as having a sense of purpose to deliver what the company uh, offers in its mission, uh, those two things come together to provide that extra bump of productivity and attractiveness. Uh, so really as a leader, you've got to think, you know, uh, mm, how are people tuning in from the heart with our business? And is that is that the same? And have I, have I got that right? And where are the gaps? So I think just take all those kind of tips that we've given, which are quite specific, and just chunk them up into, okay, what's that whole map look like? You know, what are the different parts of that? Have I got it right? And do we need to dig deeper and ask some questions about that? I'm going to throw back to you, Matt. Yeah, a really good point, Nick. And I think it all of that brings us to an important question, which is uh, to change or not to change. Uh, go back to the office, stay working remotely, or come up with something which is more of a hybrid. Uh, I think for businesses which are suitable, finding a hybrid model definitely has the potential to have significant advantages. And it could be the direction of travel over the next few years. Um, there's a good chance that a significant number of companies will take up more flexible working models, which will have wider appeal to a variety of talent. Um, and there could be substantial opportunity costs in not offering something in that space. So really, this slide is to say, don't just wait and see. Try to explore a flexible model that might work for you and occupy the ground ahead. Um, and start to think about your culture and how 2021 might affect it. The next slide. Uh, and this is a good place to start. So it's a free culture diagnostic, which gives you a rag analysis on 10 cultural categories. Um, we're going to send this around as a follow up to this session today. And I encourage everyone to have a look at it. It's a great starting point for conversation around culture. Um, if you have any questions or you want to take it further, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We'd love to talk to you about it. So just reach out by email or by phone. Um, details will be in the email. Uh, next slide, Nick. Uh, so in summary, we've got four key takeaways from today. Uh, firstly, acknowledge your new environment and actively build new routines to suit your life. Think about the impact of place and togetherness for you and your team. Uh, consider how plan changes impact on your culture and try to adjust to that and act now. Come up with a hybrid model that's going to suit your future. Don't just wait and see. Slide. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in today's uh, discussion, this is part of a series of webinars on post-pandemic landscape. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about identity, belonging, brand and motivation. 
Um, and a big thanks to everybody for sticking around. I, I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Um, I know we've hit nine o'clock, uh, so I'm going to hand over to Nick for a few minutes to look at questions. It's great if you can stay online, uh, but otherwise, have a great end of your week. Hand over to you, Nick. Thank you. Thanks both. Um, love the chat. Um, uh, some great comments. Um, and my call out to the audience is just to say, you know, whether you do something about this or don't do something about this, make sure that's a considered um, thought rather than just rolling along um, because it's a really important area. Um, got some great comments in. Um, so David Gill. Hello, David. How are you? Hope you're well. Nice to see you. Um, he says found a monthly team Fun team quiz has been well received, important to offer it, but not mandate it. And I think that is a really good point. Um, and um, uh, he's finding introverts actually enjoy the quiet workspace. And it's the extroverts that definitely need the group interaction. I've definitely found that. Um, I, I reached out for um, one of my things has been just to do normal breakfast, but just through a screen, like forget the fact that we're on the screen and just carry on with my normal routines. And I caught up with um, a lovely architect that we work with, and he was really enjoying the space and the piece. He's very introverted, so totally resonate with that. Um, John asks, in business planning, there's value in having a crisis plan and a business continuity plan uh, in advance to facilitate the implementation of plans cited by the team this morning. I think that's a great point. What are you guys seeing, Matt and Rosanna? Are, you, are your clients picking up on that and planning this out? Yeah, definitely scenario planning about what might be. Um, and I, I think having like multiple tracks, because I think that's what gives you confidence really is having that plan. So um, not thinking too far ahead because there's still quite a lot of uncertainty there, but what are the risks, um, you know, scenario planning around that um, and just coming up with a plan. Um, you know, what if 50% of your income just uh, fell through? What if your largest customer, um, you know, stopped trading? You know, going through those sort of quite big, big hitter risks um, and just coming up with a broad brush plan in the, in the sort of short to medium term, I think is what's giving um, leadership teams the confidence to consider those. Yeah, similar. Uh, I think everyone was, well, a lot of businesses were familiar with risk analysis all along. But the beginning of the pandemic really forced people to think about scenario planning. Um, and actually, a quick throwback, we have done a, a strategy cafe on scenario planning, if anyone's interested in learning about it more. Um, but that uh, education from the really chaotic start to the pandemic has put scenario planning in people's minds. So now as we're coming into, well, really a continued time of change, uh, people are more aware. Um, but to me, it's a really in, interesting observation that people people are aware, but they're not necessarily all applying scenario plans to coming out of the pandemic in the same way they did to going into the pandemic. I think maybe the panic isn't there in the same way. I think there's a big risk here of missing missing uh, missing a trick. So my point about identity and about fracturing of routine being somewhat a challenge, like an existential challenge to my identity in connection with the business. So. Uh, a really important point to make is identity is, all, identity is always in relation to something else in the world. You know, identities don't exist uh, other than in relationship to something. And so my identity as a belonging to this brand is a really powerful pull factor in terms of keeping me here, keeping me meaningful, keeping my life in the, in the track and shattering the routines for many people 
is, is existential to that relationship. I think there's a risk analysis that should be run here around, you know, have we diluted the relationship with our teams? Um, maybe, maybe not, but failing to do it, failing to actually tackle that gap and look, uh, failing to really properly check in, and, and then also failing to respond to that to find a way to reattach and that works for people. It's, it's all doable. These are all solvable problems, but it's a question of whether you pay attention to them or not. And I guess that's the kind of strategy point there. Um, Michael Shapiro says, one tip, always finish my team meeting 10 minutes earlier than scheduled uh, on purpose and it significantly reduces the team's stress towards the end of the meeting. I think that's a great idea, yeah. um, Michael. And thank you for coming on this morning. I know you've got a meeting at 9.30 about this, so hope you pull some of our ideas and suggestions into your your group of lawyers. Um, and um, um, just on that point about the um, scenario planning, um, you can find that on our YouTube channel. Um, back at the start of the pandemic, we did a series uh, there. So um, it's all tagged on crisis management, but they're all on the Strategy Cafe uh, channel. So you can go back and watch those and share them if they're helpful. Um, and then David Gill says here, I encourage staff on Zoom meetings to reduce email as a means of communications and instead pick up the phone and talk. We become lazy, uh, even fearful of actually speaking, and become so reliant and even dependent on email or texting as our main method of communication. Change your behavior. It's great to talk and limits of misunderstanding, amongst other things. I completely agree with that. Actual mm -hmm. phone calls, natural phone. Yeah, and it's where, from a culture point of view, digging into that a little bit more as to 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 why and um, you know the the sort of transcendence of fear can be quite I think you said contagious, Nick. Uh, <laughs> um, it can be, and I think it, it, then the absence of things it can snowball. So curious from a culture point of view, you know why and um, how you you know work that in a more collaborative way that makes people not feel fearful. I think the point on misunderstandings is a really strong one as well. Um, again, it's a it's a more complete way of communicating to pick up the phone. You've got those um, other cues that go along with your message and can and you can clarify if, if you feel like someone has misunderstood. And it's it can be a huge time saver on top of on top of that rather than exchanging twenty emails on a contentious subject. Yeah. I'm really curious, uh, John Purvis, uh, who made the point, a really, really good observation about crisis plan and business continuity planning. Um, John, maybe I'll pick up with you afterwards. I'm really curious as to how the European Medicines Agency um, did that. I know you were heavily involved in the um, um, swine flu um, pandemic response, and um, uh, maybe we can pick that up offline. I'm just very interested to know whether you've got like a download on you know, the agency's approach uh, to that and uh, be interested just to hear your, your views. Um, I've just got one question for you two um, that occurred to me during this. So it's really about hybrid. Um, um, I know we're running up against the hour uh, and the, you know, 10 minutes rather on, uh, on, on questioning, but I'm just curious as to anything you guys have come across which really helps with the hybrid environment. So where you've got a few people in a room and then a few people on screen, um, which I think is going to be really commonplace. They're international companies, you know, in my experience that was already there, but badly managed before the pandemic. But have you come across that? Any thoughts as to how to manage it? Um, 
so um to be honest most people at the moment are still in their own home so i haven't done much where we've had lots of people in an office you know split office and but having said that um just thinking out loud i think or everybody working collaboratively around one thing um, is always the best way to work. So one document, one whiteboard, you know, one conversation. So, and actually using online tools, um, I may have spoken at length about Miro and it being a great, fantastic uh, way to facilitate um, conversations um, where you would be using a whiteboard you can do that online so it's an online whiteboard and you know, just getting people up on that already i think is great I, I think there were technologies that we are using because of lockdown and working in isolation that we would get take forward into office working you know i i love a whiteboard i love posters but i think these online tools are just as good um so i think making sure that everybody's working on the same point um and I think it's important to recognise that um, if you are then with somebody, a colleague in the office, you know, just making an announcement that don't forget about the person on the screen, you know, and I think just being really conscious of that until it starts to see how it works for your team, I think. I think that's a great point, actually, even orientating your body language like mm -hmm. that and really checking with those in the screen as if they were in the room and don't get attracted by one group and not the other it's a kind of attentional thing isn't it i think it's a really important point until we get holograms <laughs> coming down the track yeah <laughs> back to you matt then uh yeah um yeah i think that's a really good point and the only thing to add is um a good point on miro and technologies technology is going to make this easier there's already way more technologies than there were at at the, the beginning of the pandemic and people are getting more and more used to using them. So I think a hybrid model is eventually gonna be um, super doable for most organizations as we get more used to using it. Um, and on the way out, thank you very much for listening. Um, please do tune in next time. It's been great conversing with everybody. And if you've got any follow-up questions or inquiries, please, please do get in touch. Details are on screen and there'll be some contact details in the email we send around with our culture diagnostic. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody. Have a great day. See you later.